in all of the years that we've been doing this project and we've been saying we believe this is essential we believe that this is infrastructure that we have a role in this and really seeing the conversations switch you don't have to try to convince people that this is essential anymore welcome to episode 445 of the community broadband bits podcast this is ryan marcatillion mccracken here at the institute for local self-reliance this week on the podcast, we connect again with Utopia Network's CEO and Executive Director Roger Timmerman and Deputy Director and Chief Marketing Officer Kim McKinley. 2020 was a year of explosive growth for what is now Utopia's 15-city footprint, fueled by unprecedented demand. The network buried 1.7 million feet of conduit and 1.4 million feet of fiber cabling, driven by 10,000 new installations and over 500 new businesses. Chris, Roger, and Kim talk about the process of bringing new communities online across the state of Utah, with member cities hitting revenue marks ahead of schedule and pushing smart city applications to measure and improve air quality for wildfire detection and a host of other innovative use cases. Roger and Kim talk about what the Utopia approach means for communities and what they've got in stock for the future. Now here's Christopher talking with Roger and Kim. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I went ice skating today, and I love it. It's really great in the winter. People are wrong to... (laughs) Half of these things end up me talking railing about winter in Minnesota. Um, I'm (laughs) Part of the reason I'm just giddy and getting excited is I'm really excited to get a uh, talk with our guests today, get the lowdown on what's been happening in Utopia in Utah. So let me bring back to the show Roger Timmerman, the CEO and Executive Director for the Utah Telecommunications Open Infrastructure Agency, uh, better known as Utopia. Welcome back, Roger. Hi, Chris. It's always great to be on your show. It's uh, we, we love being on here. You uh, get a great group you talk to and great topics and hopefully we contribute to that. I think if I go more than a year without talking to you, I'm doing something wrong because there's a lot of exciting stuff that's happening out there. Uh, I'm also going to bring back Kim McKinley, the Chief Marketing Officer and Deputy Director for Utopia. Welcome back, Kim. Thanks for having us, Chris. We're excited to talk about um, all the stuff we've been doing in 2020. Well, now we're in 2021. So a little backstepping. <laughs> yes. And, and, and I'm sure people can't get enough of looking back on that wonderful year that was 2020. <laughs> so let's spend an hour doing that. Well, re, like rehashing what happened in 2020 over and over again. So I, I, I have this great way of starting off. And, and I have to say, like, I'm actually surprised that neither one of you is out of breath right now because of the amount of work that has been going on in Utopia. So let me just ask you, Roger, um, just give us a, a brief sense of, of what has happen in the last calendar year uh, for Utopia? Well, you know, a lot of things, uh, you know, and, and it's a lot of stuff in parallel. You know, we're not a single city project or, you know, a single pipeline of, of project. You know, we, we have partnerships with obviously the original members of the project, which were 11 cities, uh, but we've been adding cities. And so, you know, we say, well, where are we building fiber? You know, we may have uh, 10 to 20 different projects going on in different cities all at the same time. And, and really, that's the only way we've ever gotten to the type of productivity we're at right now, because, uh, you know, we'd have a bottleneck in one city. A lot of times the city itself is the bottleneck in permits and inspections and all that. But, you know, we're busy. We're growing way faster than we ever have. Um, but that's really because so much is going on in parallel these days. But let me let me just get a, give people a sense. We'll talk for a second about what Utopia is in a minute. But but in the meantime, 
what what are some of the stats that come to mind over the past year that define 2020 for Utopia? Yeah, we got some good ones, you know, so on the construction side of things, uh, you know, we're looking at about 1.7 million feet of conduit which put in the ground. Uh, and you say, well, what does that mean? You know, you imagine the, the horizontal directional drills out there, you know, and people digging holes and, you know, that's a lot of construction in a lot of neighborhoods. Obviously we clean that up nicely when we're done, but that mm-hmm. is a, a lot of conduit. Uh, that conduit needs some cable in it or else it doesn't do you any good. So uh, 1.4 million feet of fiber cable. Uh, and those are all different types. You know, if we're, if we're talking how many feet of fiber, you know, well, that cable may have 288 strands in it. It might have uh, 400, 800, even some of those bigger cables. Um, and sometimes it's little guys. So lots of cable, 1.4 million feet. Um, and, you know, the result is that we now can reach a lot more people. So uh, it was about 25,000 new locations that can get service. Uh, when we're talking homes, you know, we have business and residential. That's about uh, 20,000, uh, I guess it's 20,500-ish uh, new homes that can now sign up for the service. Uh, we did over 10,000 new installations for, for homes, uh, about 510 new businesses. Uh, this is a, a ton. I mean, that you just imagine each one of those jobs is multiple crews. You know, you've got the, the placement of the conduit underground. So you've got a, 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 like a missile that pulls that underground. The digging of the holes, the installation of the fiber cables, the splicing, the electronics, the configuration, you know, everything involved, the marketing and sales systems and all that for, mm-hmm. for over 10,000 new customers is huge. And, and when we look at it historically, you know, it kind of amazes us because it's like, well, we, we've been at this thing for a while, as most of you know. <laughs> uh, Closing in on 20 years. In, yeah, it, it was created in 2002, but we really financed and started moving in 2004. And all the way from 2004 to 2019, you know, we got about 100,000 addresses covered where they could sign up for services. And to, to put another 25,000 of that just in this last year, I mean, 25% growth uh, from all previous years was huge. Um, and, and we're not slowing down. <laughs> no, one of the things I would note is that you also put a big check mark next to several of your communities. And, and you don't have to worry about the mayor calling you to say, when are you going to finish this up? I mean, so you have several communities where you're now 100%. Yeah, it's, it's nice to finish projects, right? It's really easy to announce fiber projects. It's really hard to finish them. <laughs> so we love finishing these cities and you know some of them are new projects so it's not even like hey we've been at this city for you know 15 years you know we finished west point in you know 15 months um we've finished morgan we finished uh woodland hills last year or i guess year before um and and those are relatively small cities um but you know at at the pace of progress of this construction you know we are working through cities uh breakneck speed and and, and yeah, it's, it's busy and, you know, it's, it's the construction, it's the sales, it's the marketing, it's the operations. I mean, all of the, every person here at our, you know, I'd say company, but we're a public agency. Um, every single person is trying to catch their breath. I mean, it is, it has been a heck of a year. It's been, uh, you know, challenging with COVID, but from just a, a business perspective, demand skyrocketed. And, and it was, we had some pretty frank conversations with our employees saying like, this is, this is an emergency and people, you know, this is a critical service for people. You've got people who are trying to function remotely for work and for school and for telemedicine. And this is not 
because someone is getting buffering on Netflix, right? This mm-hmm. has become such a critical service for people. And, and, and we're coming in and, and solving that problem for people and they see it that way. And that's why we saw skyrocketing sales uh, when, when COVID hit, um, because it is, it is now that type of a service. Hey, Roger, but I think that what we saw with even in, within our company is people rose up to the challenge and they stay, worked late and they were working. I had people who were calling at 7.30 in the morning and calling at 7 p.m. to get these um, installs scheduled. And I think our contractors stepped up as well. So we really rose to the demand. I mean, when the, the pandemic hit in March, we had our biggest month, um, probably by almost double in Utopia's history. So you went from we're all in the office together to we had to adjust working from home and um, like meet the demand of uh, the increased demand during the pandemic, which I thought was it was really it was really heartwarming to see how many people who work at Team Utopia who not only value this as a job, but they really value it as a passion um, to connect people. Yes. And, and you, you, even get to the, you had service providers. I mean, there's just there's so much that we'll get into with this conversation. So, Kim, let me just ask you, if, just uh, what do you remember of 2020? I mean, a lack of sleep will certainly hurt the memory. So <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah, I think I didn't get a lot of sleep. I got a lot of stress, a lot more gray hairs. My hairstylist likes it because I come in more often these days. <laughs> um, but what I remember is just really watching the community and the increased demand in this. And all of the years that we've been doing this project and we've been saying, we believe this is essential. We believe that this is infrastructure, that we have a role in this and really seeing the conversations switch. That nobody, you don't have to try to convince people that this is essential anymore. People are coming to you going, this is essential. I mean, even listening to podcasts like yours and others, it's the conversation has totally. Others? No, well, I mean, others. Yeah, there's no others. There's no other podcast. But it, it, it is, it is, it is really, like I said before, watching our contractors, watching our ISPs, watching everybody come and come together and, uh, and, and see what 2020 really brought to us, which 2020 wasn't our, is the best year for the books, but for internet and connectivity, I think a lot of people, especially in Utah, um, got to see uh, the beauty of it. Like I actually just got an email from a customer that we, we connected probably right before the pandemic hit. And he said, I can't thank you enough for the work that you guys have done to connect uh, my community and my house. Because they were like, because of that, I can Zoom with my child and my grandkids who live in Indonesia. And to see those kind of emails is why we do what we do here at, at Utopia. Now, when you were on a year ago, we were talking about Idaho Falls, and they hit a really exciting milestone of uh, of a thousand. It was your first project working, um, you know, launching with such a great integration um, outside of the state of Utah. Uh, how has that been? I think it's been a great relationship, and we are seeing tremendous growth up there, and they are continuing to grow at breakneck speeds up there in Idaho, and and trying to. So we we have all our Utopia growth plus we're helping them with their network. So it, it added a little bit of a challenge, but uh, we've never backed down from a challenge here at Team Utopia, but we're really proud of what they're doing up in Idaho. Excellent. I wanted to start with just that that enthusiasm and progress, um, but I want to double back brief, briefly and just note for 
people who are unfamiliar, Utopia is a multi-city project that uh, was is a pioneering, well, I guess pioneering in some senses. It wasn't the first open access network, but it is the largest and the fastest growing and you claim most successful. I think that's accurate open access project in the nation, uh, which means that you operate infrastructure and you have multiple ISPs that are competing across it. Uh, it's, it's certainly long been the most competitive space in the entire country where you have so many different choices of service. Um, Roger, that was the quick version. Did I leave anything out that you think is important to a, a definition of what Utopia is? Um, you know, there, we do also financing, right? So um, when, when we do these city partnerships, uh, it, instead of just the city doing a bond and taking on those obligations, it's a little different because the, this phase two entity uh, is the Utah Infrastructure Agency and, and, and it finances these things. So it takes on the debt, it builds a network, it you know pays for it over time with with customer connections. And from a city perspective, really, there's just a, a partnership contract, uh, but there's no issuance of, of public debt from their perspective. Uh, we do it under the UIA organization. And there's been some partnerships where the city says, well, I want to, you know, I want to own this asset and, and take on those. And, and they have to plan for future capital expenses and things like that. But um, that's an option. And, and, and as you mentioned, there's this Idaho Falls partnership out there, right? They own that network. It's theirs, um, but we are their operator. So uh, we, uh, you know, design it, we configure it, we monitor it, we dispatch, um, you know, we do everything we can remotely. Uh, and then they do the the local stuff and it's a pretty cool model. And we, we've gotten a lot of cities asking about that as an option. And from our perspective, it's like, well, I know Idaho Falls is pretty close geographically to here, but I mean, it might as well be in Florida or somewhere, right? It, it's it's an island by, you know, as, as far as uh, we're concerned, uh, it's not really, it's not directly connected to us here in Utah. So we manage it remotely, but we were able to provide a lot of help so that that system was able to avoid really all of the startup costs and risks and technology problems and ramp up and I mean, we just kind of go in there and say, well, we'll, we'll charge you when you get that first customer and we'll charge you, you know, our share of that first customer. And, and a lot of these systems, it's a huge problem for them to, you know, build a facility and hire the people and get everything up and running. And, and they'll go years and years before they ever cover their operating expenses. Uh, but they, you know, Idaho Falls was available, able to completely avoid all of that mm -hmm. uh, because they just piggyback off what we're already doing. I just wanted to note that it is, um, close by western standards <laughs> because on the east coast it's probably like 200 miles and that's multiple states and people think of that as an unimaginable distance <laughs> yeah, that's true um so i want to i want to ask about uh the staff and, and i guess kim let me ask you first um uh what what have been what are the implications of this rapid growth uh you know were you able to do it by just working people to death or did you have to figure out how to add capacity <laughs> A little bit of both. Um, some people don't want to live their 24-7 of uh, Utopia Fiber, like Roger and I tend to do. Um, but we added uh, 20 new people this year. But the that is that looks bigger than it actually was because we added our own locator team, which we used mm -hmm. to outsource that. And then we brought that in-house um, at the beginning of 2020. So we did scale in different positions. We have a new smart city initiative as we deploy more smart city applications throughout our network. So we've really been e like scalable. Um, and I don't think 
for the net size of network that we have that we really added that many employees, but we did add a few. And when you say the smart city, uh, we've we've talked before, I believe, about the uh, the purple air sensors that you were among the first that I was ever aware of that was monitoring that local air pollution. You have the uh, the detectors to look at the the fire spots. Are there are there other things that uh, you're doing as well? A lot of these cities don't have the resources to do these types of things in their own cities, uh, especially the smaller cities. So initially we said, you know, let's, let's uh, maybe see if we can make this as a product that we sell to these cities. And some of them, we just said, you know, it's such a negligible cost. We just need people who know what they're doing and we already have those people. So the purple air one, we just took the initiative and said, this is just automatic. Every single one of our cabinets and fiber huts is going to have a purple air sensor installed at them. And then, and then we can work with cities if they want to increase coverage beyond that to add additional sites. And that's become a huge benefit. I mean, air, air quality in Utah's it's one of the most important topics. I mean, before COVID, <laughs> it was probably the number one political topic uh, because it's bad here, you know, and it's not, it's not necessarily because we pollute so much. It's kind of the geography. We have this bowl that we're in with mountains on, on all sides and it traps the air. And so even a, a reasonable amount of pollution just sits here and we just breathe it and it's pretty bad. Um, and so have, having a, a really, really good uh, system of, of sensors uh, is, is really a huge value to these communities. Because it's not just like, hey, Utah is a green air day or a red air day. Or so, you know, it's neighborhood by neighborhood, <laughs> right? The schools right. are looking at our sensors and deciding whether it's going to be an indoor and outdoor day, you know, based on that sensor that may be at the school or at the cabinet that's on the property that's our on easement. Or, you know, it, it's very, very localized. And we've learned a lot about pollution as a result. You know, we, we can see on the readings the impact of being near a freeway. Like it is actually a measurable difference of being near a freeway and, and further away. It's a measurable difference being near a canyon, right? The canyon winds, you know, blow in and out that air. And it's a measurable difference at elevations, right? We have this inversion and it, it sits at different elevations and it's somewhat temperature dependent, somewhat wind dependent. And and, and it, it's amazing, you know, these things that we really didn't understand before uh, come to light mm -hmm. as we have better data. And so it's, it's really been a cool tool to put these things everywhere we can. And now we're the number one provider of these sensors in Utah, uh, just because we've been putting them out every chance we can. I think that that air quality is fascinating. I mean, there's we could do an entire show, and I probably should. I mean, the the implications for education are staggering. The way it affects, uh, particularly developing brains, incredibly important. Uh, but let me just rush you along to another uh, any other smart city topics to make sure we we have time to cover them all. The wildfire detection system is a really popular one. Obviously, wildfires were a big deal, and also affects air quality. Um, actually, having these you know really high end thermal cameras that are you know twenty four seven scanning over high-risk areas and bench uh, areas, uh, I guess they call the inter urban interface where, uh, you know, homes and properties are at risk. You know, we're not covering national forest land, um, but we can, you know, save the firefighters and first responders some time, which is, you know, a really big deal. You know, just a few minutes of, yeah. <laughs> of, of advance notice can save structures and lives, right? And so that's a really popular one. We're installing more of those cameras. You know, our, our goal is to cover the entire Wasatch front and Wasatch back, which, you know, if you're familiar with Utah is, is a couple hundred miles of bench area. Uh, and, and that takes quite a few cameras. We cover 30 or 40 miles uh, with a camera, depending on, on, on the geography. 
I feel like I'm also trying to rush you along while I'm also want to just interject to add on because this is so important. I mean, you know, we are also seeing there might be massive fires in Montana or Washington in which Utah is committing um, staff. And so the ability to monitor and respond more quickly is essential to the West being able to survive this this change in climate. So I just, again, like these things are really important. And I think it's really great that you all see your mission is not just providing broadband, but really using that technology in innovative ways. Um, we kind of go into cities and brainstorm with them a little bit. You know, we, we're like, you know, we're, what do your SCADA systems look like? And, and what do your irrigation systems look like? And what, you know, a lot of those are kind of commercial products that they can buy and implement. So really it's just buy the thing, you know, put it in place and then plug it in. Um, but a lot of cities just kind of leave this stuff alone. And, you know, we're, we're a desert here and we don't act like it a lot of times. And so we do have water uh, shortages and it's, that's another high priority. So as we can, smarten up our irrigation systems and water management. That's another big benefit. Um, we're also in process of uh, deploying a, a, a kind of a beta uh, version of a LoRaWAN uh, network across our cities. Uh, and the LoRaWAN, if you're not familiar with LoRaWAN, it's kind of a, uh, a lower frequency. It's a 900 megahertz signal that goes up to about 10 miles of coverage. And it's incredibly low bandwidth um, and low battery usage and power usage for the client devices. But that allows us to, to bring in a bunch of other smart city applications, all that use that same network. And that would be things like uh, smart parking. We put these little LoRaWAN enabled parking sensors. Uh, we can put in a LoRaWAN enabled street lighting so they can actually program street lights to turn on and off. They can actually dim the lights during certain hours rather than it just be on and off. And as you do the math on how many lights and how much power usage out there, you know those abilities uh, can save a significant amount of power and cost to our cities. Uh, but there's all sorts of, I mean, there's a whole list of really cool LoRaWAN enabled technologies out there. And so that's kind of just another overlay, right? Or the fiber connectivity enables, it doesn't compete with wireless, right? It enables wireless at all different frequencies and technologies. And a LoRaWAN smart city network is just another overlay that we want to put out there. Then we have smart uh, or uh, Wi-Fi six uh, hot spots that we're trying to get out there to our city facilities, kind of act as you know just a convenience when you're at those facilities, but also the lifeline for some of these communities. If you know for whatever reason someone has been shut off or they haven't paid their mm -hmm. bill or they're you know you know disadvantaged economically or something, you know they find themselves in a situation where their broadband is either isn't working or uh, that they can't afford it or been shut off. You know they can go to any of the public facilities. Uh, you know, maybe they're coming from non-utopia cities to the utopia cities where they can get this. Um, but but even non-utopia non cities are doing this with us, right? We have lots of these other cities in Utah that say, well, we're not quite there with fiber to the home, but we want utopia to come in and interconnect all of our city facilities and put public Wi-Fi out there. And, you know, we're a 15-ish city fiber to the home project, but we're a 50-plus city fiber network, Right just that those that haven't gone this so far as being all the way to the homes. So, Kim, I, I get the sense you've heard that spiel once or twice. Roger is very, very enthusiastic about these devices. I have heard that spiel <laughs> that I might be able to recite it word for word. Um, we we go and talk to so many cities throughout the state. And, and Roger, I don't think, um, has ever been less enthusiastic about that <laughs> from like the first time he said it to the hundredth time he said it. Roger has more enthusiasm about 
fiber and smart city stuff than anybody in this industry. I challenge anybody in the industry to tell me that Roger is not more enthusiastic about it. Well, <laughs> well that, this, is, this, this is the fun stuff, right? I mean, if you're just looking at a cable in the ground, it's not doing anything. It's what you do with the fiber right. connectivity. So, you know, in the past we say, well, it's super fast internet, which is cool. But when it's super fast internet, plus this whole myriad of, of smart city applications and, and cool new developing technologies and, and wireless and everything else that's out there that all comes back to this fiber backbone, you know, that, that gets really exciting. And, and Kim's totally sick of me going into all of that, but it's, that's just what we do. <laughs> you think that's exciting, but for some people, what's exciting is financial targets. And that's what I want to really talk about, <laughs> which I think is, is just exciting to note in part. I mean, I'm just... I'm so tired. We're seeing another wave of attacks um, across the country against municipal networks. I was just going back and forth with this guy in Canada who's using these garbage studies. And so I wanted to, when I saw this in the in, in some of your your um, materials about 2020, I thought it was well worth making sure we hit on it. So um, Morgan City um, hit its revenue mark ahead of schedule by one year. Payson City, um, 11 months ahead of schedule. West Point City um, is very close to hitting um, its revenue mark, which would put it ahead of schedule. And then um, Layton City also a year ahead of its of its schedule. So, so, I mean, I think this year of lots of new people signing up has really helped to reinvigorate the business plans. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and- the city sees success, you know, nearby, they say, well, we want to do that too. And so every one of these examples where we hit those targets uh, really gives comfort uh, to other cities. And, and we model these things out kind of at a break-even scenario where they may have, you know, as much as four or five years to actually get to a target take rate. Um, and, and when we go in there and hit it in a year, you know, that's, that's really exciting. And those cities can breathe easy and say, great, this is awesome. We get this city network built and paid for and we don't have to pay a dollar for it and and that's a beautiful thing and you know it's a lot easier these days to go and get a, a 35 to 40 percent take rate in a city and and it's you know it still takes a lot of work um, but it's i'd say it's easier than it used to be and kim has really stepped up the game uh, on the marketing uh, with you know utopia directly and through our service providers I don't know if you want to talk about how things have changed from a market perspective, Kim. It might. We have gone out with very heavy PR efforts and marketing efforts. I mean, because we have had, and Chris, as you mentioned, when this project started, it wasn't all roses and what it is today. Um, and so we had to change the reputation. And we do very, um, a lot of like big marketing. And the way I always say that we've done marketing different in the open access forum than anybody else is because we lead with the Utopia Fiber brand. And we say, what flavor of Utopia Fiber would you like from like an ISP perspective? So we, we have a direct relationship with the customer. They sign up with us. And then we kind of have their, their selection of service providers. So we, we really control the experience to make sure the customer is getting the best experience um, possible. So we're, we're a little bit disruptive in this industry. I'm sure you've heard of that um, before, Chris. <laughs> um, that we don't follow norms and we, if it, it's working like it is, we don't plan on um, uh, changing anything, but we are always being agile and watching the market and watching financials and watching technology. And uh, we're always being, we're, we wanna stay agile and stay ahead of everything else, uh, if all possible. Would you agree with that, Roger? Yep, and just, you know, as an example on one of those projects with the, the financial target, 
you know, when we did this thing for Morgan, uh, you know, we said, Hey, we got, we're going to build this thing. We need to go get something like a 33 to 35% take rate. And we're at 53% right now. And, you know, we're still ahead of when that obligation would start. And we're like, we got all this buffer. We still got all sorts of buffer in time. And, and yet we, we cleared way past that. Uh, and, and that it's still growing, you know, I, but we, we don't seem to ever hit a ceiling of take rate in these cities. They're all going up. That's one of the things that I wanted to bring up because I feel like the two of you are really good people to talk about this with for a second. Um, there was a, I was reading a, a report from Wall Street analysts was talking about fiber to the home projects from the big carriers. And it just took for granted that, that you know, the take rate hits 40% and then it levels off and you're, you're stuck there. And I was just thinking, that's not what I see in the municipal market. Like I, I see, you know, in some cases, yeah, you're like, oh, we're stuck at now 2% yearly growth, but, but over five years, you're, you're getting 10%, you know, more of the market. Like, um, and, and that's what I'm, I'm hearing from you too. I mean, 53% over what time frame? That's, that's remarkable if it's less than eight years. We launched uh, Morgan in the January of 2020 was our first customer. So we are at 50% within one year. 53%. Yeah, that's just, I mean, I feel like five years ago, I would not have predicted this. Five years ago, I would have predicted that. So if we're sitting there in 2015 uh, in an in-person conference where we used to see each other, um, then um, I would have said in, in 2021, it will be harder to go from zero to 53% in a short period of time. But it seems like when you're offering advanced infrastructure that, that people are noticing is my only takeaway on it, I guess. I think they're noticing it, but I think that people are sick of the incumbents. I think that you have to value your customer. People will give me credit all the day and say, well, look at what you've done for this network. Well, no, it's about going back to the basics of um, respecting your customer, appreciating their money, like giving them the best service. It's not rocket science. It's just going back to the basics of how people want to be treated. Yeah. And, and, and we say, you know, Hey, it's so much easier and there's so much demand. I mean, that's part of it, but I mean, I would caution any project out there, like make a real effort and a budget for your marketing efforts in this, right? It's not just, if you build it, they will come mentality. You've got to be aggressive with that because people won't even know about you, right? It doesn't matter how much they hate their broadband provider. if They don't know who you are and, you know, any municipal network or public effort out there is an unknown entity. And, and, you know, we, we were going to all these meetings in Woodland Hills, for example, and, and bugging people and marketing and all this stuff. And I still run across people, you know, uh, just like on social media who I knew personally. I said, hey, have you signed up for Utopia? And like, what are you talking about? We have Utopia in our city. And I'm like, how did they slip <laughs> through the cracks? You know, all this effort. And so, then I-, I mean, really, that extended effort is a big deal. You've got to get out in front of everybody in these communities one way or the other. And then I get the call, like, why hasn't this person heard about Utopia, Kim? You're not doing your job well. (laughs) Um, So, but I think it's a multifaceted approach. It's not that you're going to get it from digital ads. It's not you're going to get it from social or a referral or grassroots. It's it's all of them. Um, And I, I think that goes into some of the stats we saw in 2020, in which we almost had 500 new five star reviews on Google. It's you can't just depend on, I hear, depend on one aspect. I hear at broadband conferences, yet again, Chris, when we used to go to those, um, that people would say, well, we put it in the city newsletter. And I'm thinking, <laughs> city newsletter, that's not marketing. You have to compete where others are competing. And like, so we do things on 
Pandora, we do things on YouTube, we do things on Hulu. Like we're competing in a broader sense and, and you have to get creative. I've been to more city um, parks in my life in the past five years than I ever did in the, the 35 prior to that. But you have to be aggressive and can stay hungry to continue to get these customers as well. So I would agree with Roger. Yeah, and, and we don't take an approach of like, you know, if most of the people out there are happy with this, then we're doing well. I mean, I think that's the approach of a lot of the incumbents. Uh, we go in there and every single complaint, you know, it, it could be a comment on a newspaper article, it could be a social media post, it could be, you know, any anything where you can find a, a post or a comment that's negative. It's how do we solve that? Can we get a hold of this person and solve these problems? Because, you know, if you can take someone who had a bad experience or doesn't like you and, and convert them into a supporter and a happy customer, you know, that results in more customers, right? They have friends and neighborhoods and and more now than ever in our history, people are connected online, right? They, they jump on Facebook. Hey, you know, I'm paying too much for my cable and I hate them. And they jack my price up again. You know, what can I do? What are other options? And we just see them get flooded with comments mm -hmm. that are pro-utopia and we love it. And then every once in a while, somebody's, ah, you know, they, they, you know, they stepped on a flower in my front yard or something. We're like, okay, we need to get someone out there to plant a new flower. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Pay a lot of attention to that stuff. So like when I, we look at Google and I say, why did we get a three-star review? And my team is already, um, we're, we're already calling them, Kim. We're already looking into it. <laughs> like They know that I'm checking it and, and they're checking it too. Because I think that goes back to the great staff is that they care about the, the customer and that they put the customer first. And I say this too, I'm over customer service as well. And I say to them, when somebody calls in on a router issue and they are struggling, I said, yeah, you've heard this complaint 15 times today, but this is the first time that person's calling and you should treat them like that's the first time, this is the, the issue that they're having. So treat them with respect and do active listening. Actually listen to them. Um, Cause I don't believe in like scripts of this whole big script. Like mm -hmm. have a conversation like a normal person. Like let's talk human to human. Um, and I think it's really worked. I mean, one of my customer service reps has gotten brownies and flowers. And I'm like, who <laughs> sends brownies to a customer service rep? But I mean, that's where I think the market has been so dying for this kind of service that, that we're providing and really listening to our customers. Roger, you look like you wanted to jump in again too. That, that approach to our customers, right? I mean, our customers are our owners and, and that's a different attitude than I think a lot of the, the private providers out there have is, you know, their attitude is how do we make money off every each, you know each and every one of these customers and if there's a thing that we have to do where we'd lose money then let's not do that and and yet you know we, we make it up in numbers right if we have more customers and more satisfied people we may lose money here and there uh solving some of these problems um but you know they, they are the owners of our entity our agency we, we are a public entity and we we treat them that way and so I think municipalities are in a great position to jump into this space because, because they have that. Well, I would say many have that attitude. Right. <laughs> you know, some people may say, oh, my city is awful to deal with. Right. But uh, not all cities are that way. You know, I think, you know, many cities are strive to serve their community and are responsive and, and see it as a, as a service uh, more than just a, a job and a, and a way to pay the bills. And so uh, we treat it that way. And that's a big difference. I think our customers appreciate that relationship, uh, whether or not they understand it. <laughs> and, and I think we would all agree that, that cities uh, would be well suited to uh, examine their options and, and deal with any deficiencies along the way before they 
consider going into this business because um, this is one that's hard and you got to do your homework before you enter it. Uh, I want to I want to highlight one other thing, which is um, as Kim you noted, and I really didn't want to harp on this because every other time we've we've talked to you, I feel like we have talked about the history of the attacks that that Utopia has suffered and the financial challenges in the early years. But it is truly remarkable um, that for um, the majority of Utopia's history now, a strong majority of it, you have not used any um, taxpayer dollars, although that is what you are consistently attacked for. And I would like to note that I actually do not think it is the end of the world to build public infrastructure with taxpayer dollars. Uh, but I do respect those who, um, if, if it is intended to not use taxpayer dollars, and ideally it shouldn't. Uh, but since 2009, you have not used taxpayer dollars. You've used private financing to build the network. So just, um, Roger, do you want to just quickly give us a quick rundown on how things have gone for the past 11 years? Yeah, so you're right. We, we get attacked all the time over that initial history. And, and I make the argument with cities all the time. I say, even if these projects cost you the entire 100% of the cost of the project of building, your community is still way better off, right? If people criticize, uh, you know, Provo, for example, they'll say, oh, you, you spent $40 million and you gave it to Google for a buck, right? They get beat up all the time. I say, well, at, at the end of the day, you know, I, I still have my opinion that the city would have been, off, been better off to keep it themselves and, and continue to have an open access network there. But at the end of the day, they still had an enormous benefit as a result of that public infrastructure. And, and people can say, well, Matt Provo, you know, they, they really messed up with this thing. But at the end of the day, I have really cruddy broadband in my house and I would consider living in Provo because they do have good broadband. You say, well, isn't that a benefit? It's a net positive for the community, even if the entire full cost of these projects falls on the backs of the city or the taxpayers, right? Now, if part of that can be paid with voluntary subscription fees and you know use of the system then fantastic you're even better off and if a hundred percent of it can be paid for by voluntary subscriptions then you've really knocked it out of the park right so i go back and look at that first phase of utopia and say well yes yeah, some of the cost of this infrastructure uh had to be paid for by those cities but those cities benefited from better service and they were still better off than they were without the very worst of utopia since that time, you know, to your point, the majority of the time of Utopia, it's all been fully paid for by the subscription fees of, of, from voluntary subscriptions, right? And that's been enormously successful. So it's like, if we, we ignore that first phase of the project, we're 10 for 10, right? This is perfect. It's no cost to taxpayers, whole thing's paying for itself, you know, most successful fiber project we could point to. Uh, but we do have that history, uh, you know, that, that we're still trying to overcome. And and, and we, you know, we're making really good financial progress while we're doing all of this. You know, obviously, as we grow and add customers, uh, it puts us in a stronger position to pay uh, more and more of, of previous debts and obligations. Uh, and, we're, and we are actually making good progress there. But um, as far as like when we're going to be able to take the phase two and pay all of the phase one costs, uh, there's still it's still going to be a while. Sure. At the same time, it is worth. I mean, I feel like in my rudimentary knowledge of this business, going from uh, 25,000 subs to 35,000 and impressing rapidly beyond that, you're really hitting that. A lot of that's gravy at this point, you know, like you're, you're no longer struggling to afford to have the right number of workers to answer the phones and things like that. Like you're really in a strong position for growth at that point is my impression. Yeah. I mean, from a money perspective, you know, our revenue month over month growth is about 50 to $60,000 a month. I mean, every month that is the 
growth, right? And we used to celebrate record months of 10,000 a month, which was great that we were even growing at all, right? And, you know, obviously that type of growth of 50 to $60,000 a month, month over month adds up over time, right? That puts us in a, you know, 700, $800,000 a month, better position after just a year, year over year. Uh, and so that obviously becomes funds that we use to pay off bonds. Um, we can grow our operations a little bit conservatively. You know, I'm a tightwad. Uh, so we're pretty <laughs> big pretty nod, big agreement that. from Kim on that <laughs> <in the> video. I barely get a track um, it, around here. He's like, do we have enough money? Kim's really disappointed. She hasn't been able to take her Maserati out lately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me and my Pinto uh, but I, driving around. <laughs> yeah. But the nice thing is, you know, we don't have investors that we're having to pay. We don't have shareholders where, you know, our motivations are to, you know, reinvest that money back into the system. And we've been able to do a lot of growth uh, that we wouldn't otherwise have been able to do. Um, we've been able to provide a lot of connections that, you know, maybe in the past we would have said, hey, that school over there is just going to be too expensive to build to, or that, you know, government facility or whatever. And Right now, it's, it's basically blanket. If it's any, any of our member cities, we will just pay for the construction costs to get there no matter what, uh, because it, this is a utility and everybody needs to get that. And, and, and over the numbers of things, you know, we, we make that back uh, in, in aggregate. And, uh, you know, that financial growth's really uh, made things a lot better around here and, and, and allows for, you know, all of those benefits of paying off debt, uh, do the things we need to do, provide more public benefits you know, we're very interested in uh, future programs of, you know, uh, digital equity and, and resolving that, you know, having programs for lower income households and mm-hmm. uh, otherwise uh, underprivileged uh, households and communities. And so, you know, we hope to have continued success. We also hope that the state and counties and cities have programs that we can leverage to, to do that. And we do a really good job of not cherry picking neighborhoods, right? So, the service availability is not a digital equity problem in our cities, right? Anywhere in any of these cities can get 10 gig if they want or gig or 250. But the price of that service, um, you know, we're looking to do some programs to help with that. And we've not yet been able to do that. Right. It takes some time to, to build up to. Uh, so we're running out of time. I wanted to give Kim one last chance um, to talk about the future, which is um, – I assume that we should keep our eyes peeled and that uh, there will be more announcements. There are more cities in the work that you are secretly driving your Pinto to, to backroom meetings to, to talk about what can happen. <laughs> Absolutely. We have a lot. Um, I was actually um, just talking about the press releases that we have coming up in the next couple of months earlier today, but we have a lot of news. We believe that 2021 is going to be another record breaking year. Um, there is a joke here at Team Utopia that Kim's motto, motto is good is not good enough, do it better. Uh, <laughs> and like we hit 10,200 residential sales this year. And I'm already like, can we hit 13,000 next year? And we're always striving to make this um, better, but we have a lot of fun announcements, um, fun programs that are coming out and we can't wait for 2021. I thought that after 2020, I might get some sleep, but after talking to Roger, um, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So uh, we're just going to keep on trucking. And we really want to see this industry not just change in Utah, but see this this initiative grow throughout the country and see more open access networks flourish. Um, you're starting to see um, seeds of it throughout the country. But um, we're, we're sitting here 
and watching. And if anybody ever needs any um, assistance or feedback, we're willing to talk to anybody because we understand the pitfalls of what these networks um, can have. Because I always like to say, if, if a network has made, had a, made a wrong decision, we've probably done it first and we might've even done it twice. Um, so we have a, a lot of good, uh, a good uh, advice to give to any communities out there, but we're excited. Um, good team here and uh, we're just working away. Excellent. Roger, last comment. Yeah, I would just put an invitation out there. If you're a community considering this, do it. Like seriously, get involved and get your elected officials involved. Feel free to reach out to us. We can help. We're not a company. We're not selling you anything, right? We're a, a public entity, but we want to help to, and, and see other communities be successful. And there is no better time. The demand has skyrocketed. People are working and educating remotely and interest rates are incredibly low. And so as we go out for tax exempt bonds, it's amazing what the cost of money is and how that works uh, for funding these municipal fiber projects. So uh, please feel free to reach out. Um, don't sit on this thing. I mean, it, people need this type of connectivity now or they're at an enormous disadvantage. Uh, you know, we need this in our communities. So again, please reach out. And, and get involved and make it happen in your communities. And reach out to me because um, Roger's out skiing or doing whatever. Yeah, Roger's, Roger's gonna, gonna talk about smart apps and smart city stuff the whole time. <laughs> there yeah. will be a sales exactly. pitch for smart city apps. <laughs> hey, there's a place for all that. <laughs> I really wanna thank both of you for your time. And and I think it's, it's just terrific. Um, you know, uh, these infrastructure projects are really challenging and it's unfair the kind of arrows that you all have endured, but I'm excited at what you've done for the communities out there and the inspiration you are for others as we move forward. I, I'm very excited to see what happens for the rest of this year. So good luck. Thanks so much, Thank Chris. You. Always a pleasure, Chris. That was Christopher talking with Roger Timmerman and Kim McKinley. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 445 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>